Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. to have the opportunity to speak this morning. Um, we'll get started in a minute, but I want to go back to the announcements and the particular slide where we were talking about um, the special contribution. And uh, I really want to encourage you uh, and, and kind of fill in some of the blanks about what this is about. Okay, so what we're doing is we're announcing we in advance so that you can begin making plans and taking action now. So you don't have to wait until that date. The idea is, if you got the money now, go ahead and contribute online, that's fine. Go ahead and give a check to Mike over here. He'll take it and we'll deposit it. What we're doing is we're taking the time right now to go ahead and set aside money from now until that special contribution and then be making plans for the even next year to set that money aside. Sometimes it takes a while to accumulate money. Anyone appreciate that fact? It takes a while to accumu uh, accumulate cash. It takes a while to put it together. And if you wait until the last minute, it can be very difficult to have anything to share. So some of us have to do some special things to come up with cash. We don't have it in the account. We have to go and go, I'm going to sell something. Uh, I'm going to do some extra work. Yeah, I mean, you can actually set aside some extra labor to earn some money for a purpose. You ever done that before? It's great. Sometimes I've had to do it just to make ends meet. But I really want to make sure that you're making a plan now. Don't be waiting until November because, I mean, it's, this year is just flying. It's going so fast. So go ahead, take the time, make a plan. What am I going to do every week? How am I going to set aside some monies for this purpose? And go ahead and be preparing, okay? And then by that time, if you've got something, then you've got a whole, a whole months again that you can prepare because we're on a journey. We're on a journey to make sure that we can keep the Harringtons, okay? They're coming on. We're bringing them, okay? And I love that picture on that slide, by the way. You, their heads are together, and he's in a state of bliss. I can tell with, with that. You know, we, we want to keep them in that state of bliss together. You know, beyond uh, an initial 12 months, we want to keep them, okay? Not for a short time, but for a long time, okay? So there's been some confusion in our announcements. So we are, our goal is to raise, listen to me, $100,000. So when we say we already got $100,000, they go, well, we're done. No, I won't come back. That put us halfway to our goal. We want to raise $100,000. Okay? $100,000. 
$100,000. If we raise more, amen, okay? Amen. We're not going to go, oh, stop everybody, okay? But it takes a plan. And if you've never done this before, this really affects the heart. It really does because you have to make choices every day. Why am I doing this? Again, why am I doing this? I want to do this. And then you have to make choices. And that's the nature of sacrifice. So I just wanted to fill that in a little bit and make sure we were all on the same page because it's exciting. And let me tell you, if you've ever done one of these you're, and you're waiting, what's the number? What did we do? How do we do? What do we got? You get invested. And that's exciting. Okay? So... If you didn't know, we have been studying 1 Corinthians, okay? And we're on that journey, and today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. But for those who didn't know, we're going to do a recap, and for those of you that from week to week, you know, we need sometimes a refresh because we get distracted. So here's what 1 Corinthians has been like so far, okay? We have Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And what he's doing is he's addressing some issues. He's addressing some concerns, and he is answering some of their questions with the letter that he's written to them. Okay? So what were some of these issues? Well, right off the bat, divisions in the church. You're going, wow, okay, yes, I'm following this guy, I'm following that teacher, he's, I'm part of this group. Okay. He had to address sexual immorality in the church. They were having issues with that. There were lawsuits and grievances between uh, believers being handled in the courts when they had the ability to work it out on their own. They had people in the church that could help them go, guys, we can work this out. But they weren't doing that, and it was bringing the church into disrepute in the public. Think how that would be seen. You had spouses withholding sexual relations from each other. You had divorce. You had idolatry. You had disciples wounding each other's consciences by the actions that they were doing, having no concern for the other and how what they were doing would impact someone else. You had people that were holding on to their perceived rights, their freedoms, while not helping their brothers and sisters with their lives. You had favoritism. People preferring one group of people, one kind of folks, over another. You had disciples seeking their own good or advantage above the needs of others. They were imitating the culture in the culture's practices over obeying God and putting him first. Some had a focus on knowledge. They were very presumptuous, spiritually presumptuous. What does that mean? It means that they were arrogant about what they thought they understood about God's word. I know this. I'm special. I know this kind of attitude. They weren't worshiping God correctly. 
And Paul had to, he had to show them where they were not doing that correctly. They weren't taking communion correctly. They were focused on the wrong things and had wrong priorities. And you go, man, those people are jacked up. Yes. Yeah, they were. But many of these issues we have to address today. Think about how relevant this is as I go through that list. I mean, think about our own lives, our own walk with God, our experiences. If you've been in the kingdom of God in any length of time, or maybe you're just brand new, these are relevant issues. So I, as you've been following through this series, have you come to any new understanding? about these areas? Have you come to any new convictions about how to address these things, either personally in your own life or in your relationships with your brothers and sisters? I don't know, but for, me, for you, but for me, it has been very challenging. I've read Corinthians I don't know how many times, but I had the opportunity but some of it, because I've been asked to do some teaching on which makes you dig in a little deeper, but some of it was, all right, I made a decision. I'm just going to read this, and I'm going to rethink. I'm going to allow myself to think about some of these things that I had strong opinions on and go, is there something else here I need to take a look at? Is there something, you know, can I hear or see something else out of what Paul is teaching? So I hope you've had the opportunity to do that. It's, I've reviewed some of my long-held beliefs. I'm focusing in. I'm, I'm getting tighter on some of this. Okay? And I hope you are too. And honestly, that's how it should be. Because what will happen is it brings us into greater unity, which is so vital. Because that's one of the things he's addressing here in this particular book. So let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll dive in, okay? Heavenly Father, uh, as we look at uh, chapter 13, we really ask that you help us uh, to hear what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. And Father, to understand it clearly, Father, that um, not only that, that you will help us address any issues that we need to address in our own lives and in this church, uh, what we can do to please you and to be obedient. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit be at work as we, as we study this together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's read 1 Corinthians 13. It's very short. Hopefully you're there. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So when someone quotes 1 Corinthians 13, what's popping up in your mind? What, what do you think of first when someone goes to 1 Corinthians 13? A wedding. A wedding, okay. Now what's weird for me is I think of marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah. You need to learn this, son. Okay. Uh, maybe I revealed a little bit too much of my own self in there, but, you know, sometimes it can be one of those chapters that we go to to feel a little bit better about our discipleship. You know, it's encouraging. I mean, to read about love. You know, I, in my study, I, I, I got to share this with you. There was a writer who wrote, and I quote, and listen to this. It is a glorious hymn or paean in honor of Christian love in which St. Paul rises on the wings of inspiration to the most sunlit heights of Christian eloquence. Like Psalms 45, it may be entitled a song of love. Beautiful, isn't it? You go, wow, I didn't realize that he just broke away in chapter 13 and he went way up there. And yeah, I did use a word called peeing. Did you catch that? I'm like, what the heck is that? So if this is on your SAT kids, okay, what it means is it's a song, okay? Why you didn't say it's a song, really? That's what it is, all right? And if you want to know how to spell it, it's P-E-A, I'll forget it. <laughs> All right, so pretty silly, but it is a real word, and if it shows up on SAT, you're welcome. All right, so honestly, for years I missed the significance of this particular chapter because sometimes as we're growing up religiously, we get junk in front of what the Scripture is saying, okay? We, we are kind of led to have this prejudice, if you will, towards a scripture that it, it's going in a particular direction, but maybe it's not, okay? 
And that's what I want to challenge today. So let's jump back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. Because for some reason, that was separated from this chapter, and it, which is kind of strange. And it, that's where he says, Paul says, after having this conversation in chapter 12 with the church, he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. Okay? That's really what's jumping into here. Is he's talking about something in the previous chapters. And what was that? Well, we just went through that list. Uh, better than what? Better than you being having divisions. Better than sexual immorality. Better than your lawsuits and grievances. Better than your selfishness. Than your all that list. He's saying, I got to show you a better way. And then we get into it. Does that make sense? That's cool. He hasn't gone up into some crazy place spiritually. He's actually continuing his argument about addressing these issues. Okay? So, let's look at this better way. Let's go back to verses 1 through 4 where he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, so... What in the world is Paul teaching here? Because it sounds kind of flowery. So notice that their use of the gift, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, other languages, without love, is going back to the way they were when they were in idolatry. He's saying that it was noisy, empty, and worthless. It's just like when they worshiped the, they did a lot of that banging of the drums and cymbals and sounds. That's how they worshiped their gods. And he's saying, you do this, that's what it is. Your focus on the gift that they, they had of speaking in tongues, they were using it wrong. They had a wrong focus about it. They weren't using it to glorify God. They were using it to glorify themselves. Paul tells them that you can have the spiritual gift of prophecy and you can have knowledge and you can have great faith, yet without love, you're nothing. But wait a minute. I want to be something. See the problem? You're given a gift not so that you're the something. God's the king. God is the one that's supposed to be lifted up. The gift is supposed to be used for the gospel, for him, for the encouragement of the church, not me, not lifting up me. And that's what he's addressing here. This is really an in-your-face verse series of verses. This is really addressing 
the heart. So he goes on, he says, you can sacrifice your possessions and give all your stuff to the poor. You can even lay down your own life. But if it's not prompted by love, it's a waste for yourself. You're wasting your time because your heart's not right. You go, would somebody really burn themselves, sacrifice? Yes, you can see people for a political thing set themselves on fire. It happens. Someone's focused on something. This is super important for me. Me. Look at me. Look at what I think. Look what I believe. No, look at God. No, look at the king. Look at my king. Look what he's done. Look who he is. That's the issue. The spiritual gifts are for that. So we see in verses 1 through 4, now he's saying the better way is love. I don't know about you, but love is a really hard thing to put my arms around. Love. Love. All right. What do I do with that? I'm not being facetious here. What do I do with that? It's hard. In the English language, love can mean so many things. You know, they were not acting out of love, and that's a warning for us. But what do I do with this? Love can be so many things. I can say I love ice cream. I can say that I, I love my, a new car. I can say I love the Bulldogs. You see, it's falling flat. See how you're not relating to that. Okay. So that's an issue. You know, love can be a romantic love. It can be a sexual love in English. It can be a familial love, a brotherly love. All these different things. And when I say love, what are you thinking? You see? It's like all over the place. Well, in Greek, they were very more specific about what they were talking about. In this scripture, Paul's using this very specific Greek word called agape. And it had a very unique meaning. It was different than all these other areas of love that I've been sharing. Agape love is characterized by faithfulness, by commitment, an act of will, a decision. It's different from romantic love and sexual love and brotherly love. It's different from all these other types by its moral nature, by its strong character, by its intentionality. And we're going to get into that. We need to, we need to take a deeper look. Agape is almost always used in the scripture to describe the love that is of and from God. God's very nature is love. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read verses 7 through 12. Yes, we're going to diverge away from uh, 1 Corinthians 13 for just a moment to learn a little bit more about agape, and then we'll get right back to it. So, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, he says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, 
because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So we see that everything God does flows from his love. Interestingly enough, agape is also used to describe our love for God. So if you look at Luke 10, verse 27, you'll see, and he answered your love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Agape is used to describe a servant's faithful respect for his master. In Matthew 6, verse 24, you'll see no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is uses of agape. Agape love is not sappy, it's not sentimental, it's very purposeful. God loves because that is his nature. He loves the unlovable, he loves the unlovely. He does not love us because we deserve to be loved. He doesn't love us because we're awesome or special in any way. He loves us because it's his very nature to love. And he is true to his nature. Agape love is always shown by what it does. What it does. God showed his love for us most clearly on the cross. In 1 John 3.16 By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We're not awesome. And yet he loves us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Agape love. In the scriptures, we learn that we are to love each other with agape love, whether they are believers or enemies. In John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
Matthew 5:44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you might recall a great example of agape love is the uh, parable of the, the Good Samaritan. I mean, here you have Samaritan and a Jew who is the one that helps the Jew? The Samaritan. The one who was, who was beaten and robbed is the Jew. No one helped him but the Samaritan. Agape love. This love doesn't come naturally. This isn't something that just pours out of the heart without that heart being trained. Romans 5 verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, agape love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, you will see that. It says clearly, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One additional scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I'm sorry. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What is Paul doing here? What is he trying to say to us? He is directly challenging the behaviors and attitudes he was seeing in the church. Follow along with me. He said, where was he seeing this? When was he seeing this? He was seeing it in their fellowship. He was seeing it in their love feast. He was seeing it when they were coming together and worshiping. He was seeing these things of envy and boasting and arrogance and rudeness. He saw brothers and sisters insisting on their own way, being irritable and resentful towards each other. He's addressing disciples who <laughs> clap their hands at sexual immorality. Think about that and false teaching. Yay! We're, we're so open-minded. We're so accepting of one another. When someone sins, yay, you poor person, you know. Maybe, maybe you can change that one day. Think about that. This is what he is addressing with his teaching. He observed them seeking out their own kind, whether it was their social standing or whether it was their wealth or their position in the community, uh, their race, excluding others that were not like themselves. Does this resonate at all? Because obviously 
in the church, there are some issues. The Corinthians were behaving this way, and he is saying love is the better way. Agape is the better way. So let me ask you, have you ever been corrected by someone for behaving in any of these ways? Has anyone ever questioned your behavior, how you talk, if you are doing one of these things? I hope so. I have. I've been guilty. What was your response? Oh, no, 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 not me, no, 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 you misunderstood, you misread my motives, no, my actions are not that. Yeah, I've done that too. I've, I've been there. I've made excuses for myself behaving in that way. In the fellowship, have you ever been hurt by someone doing this? Have you ever been hurt from someone behaving one of these ways? Probably. Someone's been unkind to you. Someone's been irritable, insensitive, selfish with you. Yeah. Yeah, somebody's done that to me before. I've been around a few years. It's happened. I blame Keith, but... (laughs) You know, people have been arrogant and rude with me, and they've been stuck in sin and difficult to deal with. But you know what's interesting as I went through here? And this is what's so challenging. Those things have happened to me, and I've done them to others. It can happen at the same time. That's scary, isn't it? Let's just... Think about that a little bit. Because then Paul says the following. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And Paul's still speaking in the same context here. He's talking about the bad behavior. And then he's saying, here's the good behavior. Here's what you need to do. Remember, Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We have to decide to love each other while we're behaving this way and continue to speak the truth and love to each other, like Ephesians 4.15 says, so that we can come to repentance. That's the answer is we have to work through addressing these issues with love with one another So there is repentance. Without repentance, we're not dealing with it. This is so hard to do. It is so hard to love this way. I don't want anyone to give up on me. I know you don't want anyone to give up on you when you're a mess. Have you ever been a mess? I've been a stinking mess. I've had disciples give up on me. I know how discouraging that is. You're so hard to deal with. You haven't changed fast enough. You wear me out with what you're going through. I don't even know how to help you. I have been in that place. 
where someone goes, brother, I hope that works out. And I remember how that felt. But finally, I come to repentance. Finally, I got to the place where that was in the rearview mirror. And I still was a part of the body, a still part of the church. And if you are bearing with someone, if you are trying to help someone and it is wearing you out, hang in there. Love as Jesus has loved you. That's what you have to pray about and come back to. You see both sides? You could be unlovable and needing to love someone unlovable at the same time. You can be difficult. Don't stay that way. You need to come to repentance. You know, here's the thing. Believing that someone can change and come to repentance sometimes. And that wants to make us put conditions on our love. You know, sometimes I struggle hoping and wanting the best for others while I'm enduring stuff from them. Just being real. What's the better way? Agape. Yeah, that's right. The love that God has for us has an effect upon us. His love has been planted into us by the Holy Spirit. You see, if this is just up to me and my own power, no way. No way can I do this. But I have the Holy Spirit in me. You see, our capacity to love like God can grow. His love has been planted in us by the Holy Spirit. And that seed will produce. It will produce if it it, it meets a fertile heart. If it meets fertile soil. And ultimately, we'll learn to love others as God has loved us. We'll pour out that love that God has put into us into other people. But we have to nurture that agape love. It requires our choosing, our intentionality, our deciding to love like God. And so... We start being transformed into the image of God. We need to decide to love. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child... I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Verse 8. We see Paul is making a contrast between agape love and the supernatural gifts that the, the, the Corinthians so highly treasured. He's, he's showing here's a difference. Love and your focus on, on having an ability that you're not using for God's glory. 
love self-glorification. Love, focus on me and who I, I want to be somebody. I want to show something. I want people to pay attention to me. I want people to feel good, think I'm great, think I'm awesome, more than the king. Have you ever struggled with any of that? Let's be honest. If you feel like you've got to do something to get some attention, that's not agape. That's, that's not honoring the king. That's your own deal. That's your own stuff. Paul's simple message to the Corinthians is that love is the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that will last. Stop being childish. It's time to grow up spiritually. It's time to set aside your immaturity. It's time to become spiritually mature. That's what he's saying here. Grow up. The time for being a little kid and your thinking spiritually is over. It's time to be an adult. It's time to do adulting. We'll see next week in chapter 14, verse 20. He tells them again, not to be children in their thinking. Because he gets even deeper in this. This is part of an overarching argument that he's giving of calling them to repentance. He tells the church here that now they see in a mirror dimly. Now they know in part. Looking ahead, the church will know fully. They're not there yet. They don't know everything. He's telling a group of church members that think they know everything. No, you don't. You don't know everything yet. You won't know everything until Jesus comes back. You won't know everything until the perfect comes. You're not going to be all of that. You have not arrived. In fact, none of us will until the resurrection. We need to be focusing on agape. This is interesting how arrogant that we can be. So, Paul ends by saying two words. So now. Notice he's, he's going back and forth, the emphasis of these words. Now, then. Now, then. Now. Okay? He says, now, bringing them back to their present state, faith, hope, and love abide. Faith, hope, and love remain. Until the resurrection, these three will remain, and the greatest is love. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.